Asking for help is a sign of strength. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Welcome to episode three of the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Terry Lepovsky, and we've got an awesome show lined up for you today. You know, a few years ago, I met Doug Smith, and after hearing his story, I knew that more people had to hear about what he's been through and what he's achieved as an inspiring leader. This is a guy who wore leg braces as a kid, and yet he became a pro hockey player in the National Hockey League. A few years later, Doug suffered a career-ending spinal cord injury that left him paralyzed from the neck down. Well, not only did he pull through that, but he returned to high performance in the business world. He rose from adversity using a model that he developed to improve mental performance. Well, how did he do it? Doug's developed a system to help people maximize their mental performance, and he's here to share it with us today. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thanks a lot, Terry. Great to be here. Doug, here's a question I like to ask every guest that comes on the show. What leader has inspired you and why? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, the guys who have made the transition from professional sports, guys like Ken Dryden, Keith Magnuson, of course, the, the work that Ken is doing in the Senate and and across the, the country with, with, with kids' education is phenomenal. And then Keith Magnuson was a friend of mine before he died in that car crash in Toronto with Rob Ramage, which is a such a great loss for the uh, NHL alumni uh, players. Keith was incredible as the vice president of Coke. Uh, to rise to that level after playing professional sports for a decade plus is absolutely phenomenal. I want to share with people that you've written a couple of books on change. There was Thriving in Transition and also the Trauma Code. You've also been working and sharing your system and your story with organizations like the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Joint Task Force 2, the Canadian Army, Canadian Border Services, Health Canada, Industry Canada, the Perlman School of Medicine, and loads of universities. Tell us a bit more about your journey and the system that you developed for mental high performance. This is really about a collision between mental health and uh, corporate America because because everybody's trying to figure out who's going to pay for this. We, we keep doing damage. This is really not about improving mental performance. This is about stopping the destructive behavior that's destroying mental performance. That's the issue. This is an issue about, about structure and the physics behind what's happening around this and, and how that relates to the communications infrastructure is very clear. And, and, and I describe it in my, in my first book and Thriving in Transition. This is about how to turn adversity into the opportunity of a lifetime. It's not like we're not going to face adversity. And then the trauma code is, is a direct application for, uh, for businesses so that you can understand how this whole change system works uh, uh, with respect to organizations and teams, not just about the individual, but about organizations and about teams as well. Take us back a little bit. How did all of this get going? Because you've had an amazing story that I think very few people have even heard of, uh, never mind been through. In, in 1992, I, was, I broke my neck in game 607. 
And I was left with nothing but my thoughts. What I've learned, my experience has taught me that, and science is proving that now, that the brain leads the body. So I spend most of my time today, not on the physical performance side, because I understand that the, that the body follows the brain. So I spend most of my time, 80% of my time working on my brain as opposed to my body. And the, and the body follows. And, 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 and this is a system that, that I've used my whole life. I didn't know it before I broke my neck. I had to analyze and look at and reflect on my life to figure this out. But the system works like this. Let me just explain it quickly in a nutshell. Sure. The, the brain is divided up into two pieces, the subconscious brain and the conscious brain. The, the subconscious is 97% of your human functioning. If you want to get traction, you have to leverage that 97%. So how do you circumvent the conscious brain to get to the subconscious brain? Mm -hmm. So you have to know the priorities of the subconscious brain to do this. So the priorities of the subconscious brain are clear. And I can, I can, I, I can defend this, okay? So write it down. Meeting basic needs, clarity of thought, and helping other people. Meeting basic needs, clarity of thought, and helping others. And what happens when you when your mental performance drops or when you're being traumatized is it causes a disruption between the conscious and subconscious brain. Right. It causes this disruption that will cause you to lose control of your subconscious. And it's like your 800 pound gorilla. It's like a ticking time bomb. Right. So how do you disarm this ticking time bomb? You understand the priorities, meeting based needs, clarity of thought and helping other people. And then you feed those priorities. You feed them with behaviors. And the behaviors are belief in self. My mother built my belief. And, and, and she would follow the bus and drive 500 miles to watch a hockey game, to the one hockey game. And we all know how it feels when, you're, when you have somebody who cares about you in the stands. The belief in self is a behavior that can be cultivated. It's a competitive advantage. Right. And then you've got motivation. Motivation, how motivation works inside the brain, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. You need to study this. This is simple stuff. How does motivation work so that you can motivate yourself and also be aware when you're demotivating or motivating others? Focus. Focus can be worked on through meditation, right? It feeds the three priorities of the subconscious brain. Yeah. Trust. Trust is, is huge. I mean, trust allows me to rapidly internalize your belief in me, Terry. We now know that the neurons, that, that, that our brain extends beyond the confines of the skull. This is clear. So, so when we work together, trust is, is a massive issue right now. All I do is I show you how that mechanism works within the brain so that you can build trust quickly. Everything's quicker, quicker, quicker when you use a system. Awareness is a behavior. You can cultivate awareness. You can become more aware. And, and, and awareness is critical because when, when, I, when I broke my neck, I became aware right away. You know what I became aware of? I became aware of all the times that I had hurt other people emotionally. As soon as I knew my career was over, it, I was devastated by that. And I had to go back and apologize to a lot of people. Emotional control is a behavior. It's one of the behaviors that feed the three priorities. I was paid to lose emotional control when I played in the NHL. And what I found is when I lost emotional control after my career ended, I, I did a lot of damage. When you lose emotional control, you hurt other people. And when you hurt other people, you, you, you hurt yourself. Asking for help is a behavior. It's not a sign of weakness like I was taught in the NHL. Asking for help is a sign of strength. Oh, good one for sure. And then, of course, purpose. I mean, if you don't have purpose, if you don't have goals and purpose, you know, the, you're, 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 you don't have a map 
for the future. So purpose is important. And, and my purpose is clear. I'll just share with you mine. Everybody's got their own purpose. And of I can course, help people yeah. go through that if they like to figure out what it is. But my purpose is to meet basic needs, is to work on my clarity of thought as a priority and to help other people. And the behaviors that I use to do that include writing books that I can distribute and monetize, going and speaking to people about this subject and sharing. Really, all I do, Terry, at the end of the day is I cultivate a higher level of awareness of the value of change. Because if you knew the value of change, you would have already changed. Right. So, so the value of change is the critical component. And, and if, if you can if you can exercise that mechanism in the brain of the audience or your team or your organization, all of a sudden the conversion to a better path goes up about 300 percent. Right. So the people that come on board, there'd be three times as many of them come on board with the change. If you just cultivate a higher level of awareness of the value of the change that you're describing. And that's just a simple mechanism. And it's really just doing the right things in the right order, Terry. Everybody wants to do good things. All I've done is I've organized those good things. And I've put them in a specific order that if you use the order, what happens is it, it leverages neuroplasticity. That's why they bring me to university so that I can show it to the neuroscience departments. This is really ah. fun stuff. This is really, really fun stuff that people should get involved with because once you get involved in it, the same thing will happen to all the other people, the thousands of other people that have picked up this work is you start looking at life differently and, and, and you start being able to leverage something that most people don't understand. And it's really important that you don't feel guilty that you're leveraging that. Leveraging that is where the competitive advantage is today. Pick up any of the work. If you know, my, my, my role is to get this out there, just to get this out there to people. So if it's not you, if, if you have somebody in your life that, that, that is struggling right now and just looking at well, what are they going to do next, I can give them something. I can hand them a gift. They can use it the way they want to use it. But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you use this, it works every single time to boost performance, to help you do more with less. You know, I, I think it was the uh, first time that I heard about this, eight different components that are built into this system, that I saw the, the magic. I really felt that you've hit the nail on the, on the head with every one of the different pieces of this puzzle to really bring that around. And I, I've seen so many times, Doug, that people are maybe not 100% aware, but they have a pretty good idea that they need some help in something. Or perhaps they know that they're doing all right, but they have a lot more potential. And I'm really glad that you touched on all eight of these because there's one that really hits home with me and that's asking for help. And I think once people get into that frame of mind where they want to reach out and they, they want to learn from somebody who studied this and who's brought all of these best practices out, that's where I think that there's a lot of uh, great magic for helping people reach their own potential. The first step is to understand that where you're at is not a reflection of your potential, where you're at is a reflection of your conditioning. If you choose not to look at the mistakes that you've made, if you choose to ignore those, the things that have gotten you to where you're at, the conditioning of, that your parents put you through, that, that your teachers put you through, that, that, that your coworkers have put you through, if you refuse to look at that, you're playing the lottery. Right. The answer is in your conditioning, what conditioned your brain to get you to where you're at right now. You know, when you compare yourself to other people, Terry, and what they have, when you say, geez, I, w I wish I had the relationship that that person had or the car that they have, do you know what you're actually looking at when you do that? 
you're looking at a reflection of your own rejected thoughts. That person accepted thoughts that you rejected. Doug, if you don't mind, just to reflect a bit on your own story, if I understand this right, at the time, you were the youngest person ever drafted into the National Hockey League when you went to play for the LA Kings. Is that right? Well, no, I was the youngest player to ever have played for the Kings at that time. I was drafted uh, second overall. Went to Los Angeles as, a, as an 18-year-old and experienced uh, an environment as the first round of 18-year-olds to ever go into the NHL and experienced an environment I wasn't prepared for. You were a kid. You were yeah. an 18-year-old kid playing in the big leagues, playing with the, the toughest and biggest players, the fastest players on the planet. You were on your own at that point. Well, you know, at that time they weren't ready, right? There, there still wasn't cameras in every building, you know, filming every game. And there was a lot of stuff going on with the old boys club back then that was very dangerous to uh, performance. The LA Kings uh, believed in me. They drafted me, but they put me in the airport park hotel in a bad area of town for several months. And uh, as a guy making enough money, more money than I could spend, I, you know, went and bought a Porsche, the head of security at the Kings gave me a loaded long barrel 38 special to keep under the seat of my car. Little did I know I was being conditioned by the environment in Los Angeles. And that, that really almost destroyed my career within three to four years of being drafted second overall was the, the environment in, in Los Angeles, the culture, um, of, of the organization or of the NHL at that time. So, so, so I, I've experienced that uh, in, in my life. And, and now I try to help people avoid getting into the, uh, situations like that. Cause it was a very, at times it was very painful, you know, in my life. And I didn't know why that's the thing is, is th this emotional, this cumulative emotional trauma works like carbon monoxide that the brain doesn't recognize it. Right. And, and it recognizes physical trauma. It recognizes cumulative physical. It, rep, it recognizes catastrophic emotional, but it doesn't recognize cumulative emotional trauma. Your brain will adjust and then all of a sudden you'll wake up one day and, and hate your life and, and hate what you're doing. And you, you don't understand how you got there because just a year and a half earlier, you loved what you did. Oh, I think what you just said is probably one of the key bits is that this creeps up on you. You know, it's an environment that just kind of slowly is eating away at you. And then one day you wake up and you realize that maybe weeks, years, or, or even decades have passed by. And there's no more light. It, I describe it as there being no more light. Right. It's hard. No, it doesn't matter what you do as an entrepreneur, like you and me and what, what we're doing here. It's all hard. But this is a light for me during the day. This is a light for you during the day. A lot of people resign to, to not having any light. They, 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 they get up, they hate what they're doing, they, they, they're afraid to leave it, they, 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 and, and, they, and they go in and they, 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 they cringe when the boss comes around, they look forward to the weekends, they, 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 they dread Monday mornings. These are all symptoms, guys. These are all symptoms, and it's important that we pay attention to them because if we just pay attention to them, we can wrap a system around them to protect ourselves from it. So you went through a pretty trying time early in your career as a young hockey player in the National Hockey League. You, there was somebody else who believed in you and saw the potential in you as a pro as well. Well, there was, a, you know, there's a few people I should mention, um, you know, coaches. I have a bigger appreciation for coaching today than I ever did in my life. And I think we acquire that as we get older. You know, first and foremost, Brian Kilray, who, you know, who coached me in junior. Right. And then, and then, you know, the Los Angeles Kings believed in me and drafted me. And uh, in, in Los Angeles, I was fortunate to have Pat Quinn as a coach. 
uh, and Roger Nilsson. Um, and, and then um, uh, Scotty Bowman uh, traded for me uh, when I was 23. He had tra- been trying to get me since the draft. And I, I had a, an incredible time, my wife and I both, in, in, in Buffalo. And then uh, Glenn Sather, you know, uh, look, I mean, look what he's doing with New York now, right? I mean, he, he's one of the leading guys in the world, believed in me. And when Gretzky was traded to L.A., I, I went from Buffalo to Edmonton to try to fill those shoes, which was which was impossible for 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 me mentally, not physically, but but mentally it was it was an impossible feat. Uh, and then um, I played for Pat Quinn again in uh, Vancouver. And then uh, one of the highlights of my career, the, if not the biggest highlight, is yeah, I got traded to Pittsburgh and had a chance to play with Mario. And, and people ask me, who's the best player you ever played with or, or, or against? And my answer is uh, always uh, the same. I mean, I, I, Mario Lemieux is the best player I've ever been on the ice with, playing for, playing with and playing against. He didn't have the same mental skills as Wayne Gretzky did, and that was the that that was the difference. Uh, you know, Wayne had a way of relating to teams, relating to an organization. Uh, his mannerisms, as far as a leader, were different than Mario. Mario was a silent guy, but but when it came to to talent and skill and just natural uh, unbelievableness, Mario, uh, in my opinion. You were in leg braces as a kid, and yet you ended up in the National Hockey League, the uh, an elite professional athlete. A few years after that, checked into the boards, spinal injury left you a quadriplegic. You fought back from that. You're now a very successful business person. You're doing public speaking all the time on mental high performance. And a full disclaimer here, uh, Doug, you and I have worked together because I have been so impressed with the system that you've developed to help other people find their own mental high performance. You and I have actually worked together to bring this system out into a a one-day workshop that you bring out to people as well and i gotta give you full kudos for this you are just an achiever through and through this is one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on inspiring leaders i think you set a fine example and you've demonstrated that time and time and time again well you're building networks today boy you can do damage to a network if you behave uh, if your behavior slides a little bit you know you, you've got to be aware of that your network is your future and, and you mentioned our work together. Well, it's so simple. This is science now, right? The performance playbook is, is what we can deliver now into, into a, a, a team environment. And it's incredible what it does because we measure at the beginning. We measure at the end. We download the behaviors. We download the priorities. We tell the people in, you know, in the room that the, we're there because the leaders care about them. The managers care about the employees, right? The, the, the executive directors care about the management. That's what we're doing now. That's the shift that's happening right now. People want people to open up so that they can see when damage is being done sooner. And how do you see it sooner? You build trust. You build focus. You build belief in self, awareness, emotional control. You build these things without taking any time. We can show you how to do this while you're driving the car, while you're going in to get a coffee, while you're at the grocery store. We can show you how to transform an organization with simple modifications of behavior that feed the three priorities. I think the biggest thing that really gets me about what you do, Doug, is that you're, you're really on this planet to help other people. 
And it's that sense of transcendence, that sense of helping other people achieve and be the best that they can possibly be. That's what I believe makes you an inspiring leader. I just want to thank you so much for being our part of our podcast and for sharing your perspectives, your experiences. I know that I'm speaking for so many people by saying, I have so much to learn from you and I'm really glad that you've shared with us today. So I have a lot of takeaways to work on, but like I said, thank you for being here. You know what? Uh, reach out anytime. Uh, call me. You can find me through DougSmithPerformance.com. You can go to the TEDx talk called uh, How to Improve Mental Performance and uh, reach out. And uh, Terry, I, I look forward to uh, delivering this uh, in, in the face-to-face environment with you. It's, it's always fun working with you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google, and Stitcher with your ratings and comments. Your support makes a big difference and we sure do appreciate it. Until next time, take care everybody. Bye for now. 